You are listening to the Landmark Sermon Series, a sermon podcast nearly 40 years in the making. You'll hear the voices of our church's founding pastors, Dr. James Reeves and Alan McBrayer, as well as others who helped pave the way for City on a Hill beginning all the way back in the early 1980s. Our hope is that these sermons bless you and challenge you in the same way they have blessed and challenged so many others in the past. For more information about our church, visit www.cityonahilldfw.com. ministers through music move me as much as money uh, and we don't want to glorify him and lift him up but I just believe that it's the spirit of the Lord that, that dwells within him that is so genuine and so real um, this is the second time that we've had them in our home for the weekend the first time they came they stayed with us for a couple of days and this time they've been with us since early Friday morning and you know what they say that fish and company stink after three days um, but they they still smell great <laughs> Uh, two more gracious and um, just uh, congenial people I think I've never met in my life. And uh, I appreciate that from them. And, and it just comes from their love for the Lord Jesus. And uh, we just appreciate you, Monty. Thank you. God bless you. He carried the weight of the whole world. I know my brother. He can carry you. Amen. All right. Take your Bibles. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We've been going through Ephesians on Sunday morning verse by verse, and we've come to a passage this morning that uh, really kind of fits the day. I didn't have a Mother's Day sermon. Uh, don't think I've ever preached one. I don't know what I would preach. Uh, I know that there's a good deal in the Scripture that probably could be dealt with, um, but I just never have done it. And what I have traditionally done is on Mother's Day and Father's Day, I've taken an opportunity to preach on the family, the Christian family. And because we're going through the book of Ephesians on Sunday morning, uh, we, I decided that we just stay there because there's tr- a tremendous, tremendous passage of Scripture on the family that's in the very chapter that we're dealing with in Ephesians right now. And all I have to do is skip just a couple of verses to come to these verses of Scripture that I would have normally been dealing with within the next couple of weeks anyway. And so what we'll do today is we'll skip ahead a little bit and deal with the closing verses of chapter 5 And then next week, I'll come back and pick up the few verses in between where I left off last week and where I'm going to pick up today. I want to preach this morning, uh, tomorrow, (laughs) this morning on maximum marriage with minimum misery. All right? Maximum marriage with minimum misery. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through the end of the chapter. Let's read together. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also ought the wives to be subject to their husbands in everything. Got through that. All right, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. 
For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. I have never had a couple in my years of ministry who have come to me wanting to be married, wanting to be joined in, in matrimony, who have come to me and said this at the outset, Pastor, we would like to be married, but we're really not interested, we're really not concerned in getting the best out of marriage. We're really not concerned in, uh, about having just the best family relationship, the best husband-wife relationship that we can possibly have. As a matter of fact, we would be satisfied just to survive. <laughs> if we could just survive in our society and stay married the rest of our lives, then we'd be happy. If we could just somehow manage to make it and never wind up in the divorce courts. Never had anybody ever say that to me when they asked me to marry them. But without intending that, without intending that kind of relationship, what has in fact happened in a, I, beginning to be a majority of the homes in our society is that instead of, as Milton said, the home becoming a parcel of paradise, it's become a half acre of hell. And instead of it being a duet, most homes, many homes have become a duel. Instead of the home becoming a blessing, it has become a battleground and the casualties are strewn all over the household. They're, the casualties are everyone that knows the couple, everyone that cares for them, everyone that loves them, and especially and particularly if there are children involved, the major casualties end up always being the children. So I want to speak today about maximum marriage, how you and I as God's people, as husbands and wives, and those of you who look someday to being married, can have maximum marriage with minimum misery. Now I want to say to you that at the risk of being simplistic and at the risk of giving simplistic answers to what is not a simple problem, I want to say to you that the cause for that kind of relationship that does not ever achieve the maximum but, and certainly doesn't achieve the minimum in misery, that kind of relationship is because that family, that marriage relationship has not been built according to God's plan and purpose. Now, that sounds like a very simplistic answer, and it really, in, in, a, in a sense, is. You see, God has a plan. God has a blueprint for the home. In our society, what's happened is that God's plan, God's blueprint, as given in His Word, has been discarded as outdated. Our society has said that, that the, the biblical pattern of the husband and wife relationship and of the family relationship doesn't fit our modern society. It's outdated, it's outmoded, and so we have modernized it we have discarded it, and that the result has, has been that of all of the marriages, listen to this, of all of the marriages that will take place in 1985, statistics tell us that more than 50% of them will be in the divorce courts by 1988. Within three years, 50% and more of the marriages that take place in our country this year by 1985 will end up in the divorce courts. Many of those who remain together and do not ever divorce will live their lives in their marriage in strife and dissension and will never achieve maximum marriage according to the plan and the purpose of God. And so today, that's what we're going to deal with from these verses of Scripture, God's plan, God's blueprint for maximum marriage, how you as husband and wife can get the most out of your family relationship and out of the marriage relationship that God has given you. All of you are not going to like everything I say. I know it up front. I'll just tell you, okay? That's okay. Uh, you don't have to like what I say. You're not even going to agree probably with everything that I say. 
All right, we'll get that out of the way right up front also. But I do hope, whether you like what I say or whether you agree with what I say, I do hope that you'll do me the courtesy of listening and listen to the Word of God because I'm going to stay very, very close to the Scriptures today. I don't want to say a whole lot of what I think, but I really and truly want us to see what God's plan and God's blueprint for the home is from the Scriptures. It's really only a two-point sermon. I got bunches of subpoints, but only two-point sermon today, okay? The relationship of husband and wife in the home, the responsibility of the wife, and then we're going to deal with the responsibility of the husband. My wife said when I told her I was going to preach on this passage, she said, you mean on Mother's Day <laughs> you're going to preach on wives submit to your husbands? And I said, no, I mean, I'm not going to preach on wives submit to your husbands except for just a moment, okay? We're going to deal with that for just a moment, but we're going to spend, we're going to spend most of our time on the last half of that because, you see, I've found that most of the times the problem is not with the wife not willing to follow her husband's leadership. It is usually the husband not willing to lead. And so we're going to deal on this Mother's Day, ladies, for a few moments with that, but we won't stay on it for long. But then we're going to really and truly plant our feet down on what God's Word says about the responsibility of the husband. Now, beginning with, the first point is, I want you to notice that the responsibility of the wife is faithful fellowship. Okay? The responsibility of the wife in the home is faithful fellowship. Verse 22, Paul says, Wives, be subject to your husband. Be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, Paul says that the wife's relationship in the home is faithful fellowship to be subject, to be submissive to your husband. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's going to be a long morning. We won't spend long here, ladies. I promise you. Listen. Listen. God made man and God made woman in a special way. They are not one more equal than the other. They are equally equal. I heard it said this way. A woman is the best at being a woman. The man, the husband, is the best at being a husband. Not different, not separate in equal roles, but just different roles according to God's plan and purpose. And God's word says that the woman's, the wife's role in the home is to be the faithful fellowship. God made man in such a way that he is to be the head of the home and the wife is to be the responder in the home. Now, let me say something, ladies, very, very quickly. Submission does not mean slavery. Listen to that. Hear that if you don't hear anything else. Submission does not mean, ladies, that you are to stand in the corner quietly with your hands folded behind your back, waiting for Genghis Khan to say, do this or do that. You know who Genghis Khan is, don't you? Okay. That is not what submission means. Listen, this is the definition of submission from what God's Word says. Submission is the voluntary putting of oneself under the authority of another in order to please God and fulfill His purpose. Did you hear that? Submission is is the voluntary putting of oneself under the authority of another in order to please God and to fulfill your life. Submission does not mean slavery. I want you also to understand something else, that you are not called by the Word of God to submit to all men. Did you hear that, men? <laughs> you are not called as a wife, as a woman, to be in submission to men in general. There is no directive from the Word of God for you any way to be in subjection or you to be in submission to men as a, as a, as a class. Now, the modern-day women's movement 
And most of it is anti-God, anti-family, anti-children, anti-the whole ball of wax. If you don't believe me, read some of the platform material of the modern women's liberation movement. They state it. One lady, one of the leaders of the, of the women's liberation movement said, Women, we must free ourselves from marriage if we are to be free as people. The stated purpose of the modern women, women's liberation movement is to destroy the family. Now that's the truth. Equal pay, equal time, that doesn't have anything to do with it. Our Constitution already guarantees that. We just need to begin to practice it. That doesn't have anything to do with the modern liberation movement. It is to destroy the distinction between man and woman. I like the distinction. <laughs> you know, I mean, I like it. I don't want it destroyed. And God's Word never intended it to be. We're not talking about people that are not equal. We're talking about two equals. But submission, ladies, does not mean that you are to be subject to men in general. In other words, you're not to be a second-class citizen. You are not a second-class citizen. In the marketplace, in the workplace, you have no directive from God about submitting to any man anywhere. Did you hear that? You're glad to hear that. Now, the really and truly, ladies, the, the modern-day women's movement says that Christianity in the Bible attempts to subjugate women to men in general. That's not true. The Bible never teaches that. Never teaches that. Never teaches that. There is no directive in the Scripture for you to be submissive or in subjection to men as a class. Ladies, if you work among men, don't hold back. Go for it. <laughs> If you work around men, you go for it. You be the very best you can be. You have no directive to be submissive to them in any way other than the normal employer-employee relationship if you happen to be in the employ of a male-type person. That means you can go out of the marketplace, you can push and scratch and do everything you can do within the guidelines of Christian ethics to be the very best and to achieve the highest in society that you can possibly achieve. You are not to be submissive to men in general, in any way, in any form, or any fashion. Some of you men need to hear that. I don't think most of the women really need it. I think most of us men just really and truly need to hear that. This passage is not about the workplace. It's not about male gender and female gender. It's not about anything like that. It is about the home. It is about the Christian home, the relationship of a Christian husband and a Christian wife. It is about your relationship, ladies, to the man that you have chosen to spend the rest of your life with in Christ as one in the flesh. That's what he's talking about. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Submit to him and him alone. No one else. The responsibility of the wife is faithful fellowship to the leadership of her husband. Now, a lady, a wife that will not do that, a wife that refuses to do that, that rebels against that, has a problem. She has a problem, first of all, with God. Her problem is first and foremost with God. Her problem is a failure to respond to the written, inspired, infallible word of God. She is not rebelling against her husband, but she is rebelling, first of all, against God the Father because it is God that said, wives, be subject to your husbands. It is a direct commandment of the word of God. And so her rebellion is not against her husband. It is against the father, first of all. It is against the plan and the purpose and the will of God. So her problem is a spiritual problem, first of all. But not only does she have a problem with God, she has a problem with her husband. Because 
he'll never be what he could be. A wife that will not follow the leadership and understand the headship of the husband in the home, that husband will never be what he could be. If the wife rebels against the leadership and the headship of her husband in the home, he will never be complete. You are to complete him, not to cripple him. You are to complete him, not to compete with him. And not only will you have a problem with God, but you'll have a problem with your husband. It's amazing how many wives say, I would love for my husband to lead us spiritually. I would love for my husband to be the head of our home. And then when the husband begins to do that, they rebel against it and compete with him. Listen, ladies, do yourself a favor. Encourage your husband, pray for him, support him, but don't compete with him. Because if you do, he'll never be the man that he could be. He'll never be the father. He'll never be the husband that God intended for him to be or that he is capable of being. A wife that refuses to understand God's directive for her position in the home has a problem with God, has a problem with her husband, but she'll also have a problem with her children. I've never seen it fail. She'll ultimately have a problem with her children because in the home where the biblical chain of command is not recognized and not, is not observed, the children in that home never learn how to deal with authority. Never do. If the father is rebelling against God, the mother is rebelling against the father, then the children are going to rebel against both and never understand in life how to put themselves under subjection to another one. And you know what it's like in life to go through life rebelling against all kinds of authority. You see, God has a spiritual, biblical chain of command for maximum marriage with minimum misery. Paul really kind of lays it out in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Write that down. Let me read it to you, and you can look it up a little later. I promise you I'll quote it correctly, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Paul says, Christ is the head of the man. Man, you're in subjection. You're in subjection to Jesus. So the wife is not the only one to be submissive. You are to be submissive as well to Jesus. The Christ is the head of the man, and the man is the head of the wife, and God is the head of Christ. Now listen to that. Submission does not mean inferiority. It says Christ is the head of the man, but God is the head of Christ. Now anybody that understands anything about Christian theology understands that Jesus is not inferior to God. Never in the scripture. They are co-equal, co-eternal, everything. Total inequality. But what he means by that is that Jesus voluntarily, as Philippians chapter 2 says, that he emptied himself and took the form of a servant, Jesus voluntarily submitted himself to the authority of God the Father for what reason? To achieve the purposes of God. Now Paul says it's the very same thing in the home. Submission is voluntarily. It is a voluntary subjugation of oneself to the authority of another for God's purpose. And it does not mean you become a doormat. It does not mean that you become a wallflower, a marshmallow, if you will. Now, I don't want to embarrass her, but I need to say this. I'm thankful that God has given me a wife that I can point to as a shining example of most everything, really, that the Scripture lays out for a woman. If you would like to read Proverbs 31 sometime for the ideal woman, you would almost see my wife's name written across it, as far as I'm concerned, anyway. My wife is beautiful. She's intelligent. She's creative. She's talented. I got a great deal. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about something great here. I got a, I got a tremendous deal. Not only that, uh, she's a wonderful wife. She's a wonderful mother. She's a wonderful homemaker. She operates and runs her own business. 
Uh, she can stand toe-to-toe with almost anybody that I know in her insight into the Word of God, into Scripture, yet my wife voluntarily submits to my leadership and headship in the home and does it willingly because she knows it is God's best for her, for me, for our children, for our family, for the church, for all of society. And so it's not a question of inferiority. By all standards, I stand inferior to her in many, many aspects, but she has voluntarily, uh, under the inspiration of the, of the Word of God in her life, said that I will submit to the headship and the authority and the leadership of my husband in the home. Not any of you men, but to her husband. And that's what submission is all about. That's what Paul is dealing with in this verse of Scripture. It is voluntary submission to your husband as the head of the home, as the leader of the family, in order that God's plan and purpose might be achieved in that home. I said I wasn't going to spend much time on that, and I haven't. We've got a ways to go. I hope that you'll let me run over. I knew this was going to be long when I got into it, but there's so much vital stuff that needs to be said today. Men, it's your turn. Wives, what is the responsibility of the wife? Paul says it in verse 22. Be subject. That's voluntary submission, not to men in general, but to your husband, the man that you've chosen to love and to spend your life with, your husband as a spiritual head of your home. What is the responsibility of the husband? Paul says responsibility of husband is loving leadership. The wife is faithful fellowship. The husband is loving leadership. I want you to notice, first of all, the position of the husband in the home. Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. Paul says the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He says he's the head of the wife, but never does he say he's the dictator of the wife. Okay? If you don't know the difference, men, between headship and leadership and dictatorships, then you're going to have some real, real problems in your marriage. You see, marriage rights are a little bit like traffic rights. <laughs> you can have the right of way and still get killed exercising it in the wrong way. And marriage rights are a little bit like that, like a Volkswagen that comes flying toward a, a, an intersection. He doesn't have a stop sign, and he sees coming the other way a, a, a Mack truck, and he's got a stop sign, but it's obvious the Mack truck's not going to stop. Now, it'd be kind of stupid for the Volkswagen to hustle out into the middle of the intersection and say, but I know my rights. <laughs> yeah, he'd be right. He'd be dead right. Listen to this. Here lies the body of Benjamin May. He died defending the right of way. He was right, dead right, as he sped along, but just as dead as though he were wrong. You see, marriage rights, husbands, are a little bit like traffic rights. Yes, it's a right, it's a responsibility that God has given, but if it's exercised in the wrong way, you can wind up being dead on the side of the road in the process. Well, Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. Not to a dictator, but to a loving husband who has loving leadership. Now, if that's the position of the husband in the home, is headship, then how is he to be the head? What is his pattern, in other words, for this headship? What is the pattern laid out, men, for how you are to be the head or the leader of your home and family? Paul goes on and he tells us, verse 23, he says, For the husband is the head of the wife as, that's a big word, Husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. What is your pattern for your headship in the home, men? It is as Christ is the head of the church. That's the key. You are to lead your wife. You are to lead your family as Jesus leads the church. That's your pattern. You follow the leadership of Jesus. Well, how does Jesus lead the church? I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> Paul has the answer right here in the scripture. He just spells it out. 
How are you to lead as Christ leads the church? How does Jesus lead the church? Does he cram submission down the church's throat? No, no. Does Jesus say, submit church? Does he push the church down and cram submission down the very throat of the church? No, Jesus loves the church into submission. That's how Jesus has subjugated the church to himself, his body, by loving the church. You are to lead with love, men. That is the kind of headship that you are to have in your family. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Be the head of your home as Christ is the head of the church. Love your wives as Christ loves the church. You want your wife to follow your leadership? Then love her as Jesus loved the church. Your responsibility is loving leadership. If she is to faithfully follow your leadership, then you better lead her in love. As the Word of God says, say, well, how do I love my wife? How does Christ love the church? Paul spells it out. You, first of all, ought to love her sacrificially. Love your wife sacrificially. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's how Jesus loved the church, sacrificially. He loved her enough that he died for the church. Do you love your wife that much, men? Do you love your wife enough to die for her? I think in one sense, most of you probably do. In one sense, probably you do. I, there probably is not a man here that if his wife was threatened with her life, if someone were threatening her life, that he would not gladly defend her and even have his life taken in her place. And so in a sense, you love her enough to die for. You love her sacrificially in a sense, but you'll probably never get a chance to prove that. <laughs> you hope you don't. You'll probably never have an opportunity to prove that kind of sacrificial love. But there's another way to understand if you love her with that kind of sacrificial love. Another way to test that. Let me ask you, men, are you willing to die to yourself for her sake? You'd be willing maybe to give your life physically for her? I don't question that. But that doesn't mean you love her with a sacrificial kind of love. Are you willing to die to yourself for her sake? If you're not, then you don't love her the way Jesus loved the church sacrificially. Are you willing to die to your own career? Does your career take priority over your wife? Does your golf game take priority over your wife? Well, I'm getting close to home, aren't I? <laughs> Does the softball team take priority of your home? Would you rather be out there playing softball than being at home with your wife? Does anything in your life take priority for your desires over what is best for your wife? Would you be willing to sacrifice your wants and your desires for your wife? It's an important question. If not, men, you don't love your wife as Jesus loved the church, and it's no wonder she doesn't follow your leadership. It's no wonder. I would say that every marital problem that I've ever encountered in counseling was boiled down to one word, and so you've heard me say this. It's boiled down to that word, selfishness. Every problem that Lauren and I, I have ever had in our marriage has been usually my selfishness. Every marital situation that I've ever counseled, at its root level, at the bottom line, it was selfishness. Two egos clashing against each other. Self wanting this, self wanting that. Never joining together in that relationship. I'll tell you, every marriage needs two funerals and one wedding. Two people dying to themselves and marrying their lives in order to live together. That's what Paul is talking about in sacrificial love, a willingness men to die to yourself. That symbolically is portrayed in many wedding ceremonies. I performed ceremonies where that was done, and you've seen it also. 
where after the wedding vows, there is the candelabra that's there at the front, and, and there are three candles, two small ones on the side and one large one in the middle, called the unity candle, if you will. And at the end of the ceremony, the two small ones are lit, but the, the middle one is not. And the bride and the groom will go down, and, and they'll take those candles out, and they will light the center candle together. Some of you probably did this in your wedding ceremony, and it was a lie because you didn't mean it. And then what they do is they take those candles and blow them out one at a time. And there's where there were two candles lit, now those are both out. They're dead. And only the center candle is alive, symbolically portraying what Paul said in verse 31. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave himself to his wife, and the two shall become one. Did you hear that? Two people dying to themselves and becoming one person in Christ Jesus. How should you love your wives, men? You should love her sacrificially. You should love her enough to be willing to die to yourself. Let me say this, men. When you got married, you gave up all rights. Did you know that? You did. If you held on to any, you got problems. When you got married, you gave up all of your rights to make any decision based upon your desires only. You gave up every right to make any decision in your life, in your relationship with your wife, based upon what you want to do. Every decision that is made, her welfare, her feelings, her input, everything should be considered in that decision-making process. You must be willing to give up yourself in order to love her as Christ loved the church. Thank you, Bob. There are not a whole lot of amens on that, are there? Because most of us don't measure up. How did Jesus love the church, men? Sacrificially. Are you willing to die to yourself Sure, you'd give your life physically, but will you crucify your desires for her? Not only did he love her, love the church sac sacrificially, but Jesus loved the church sanctifyingly, Paul says. Verse 26 and 27, read again. He gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Paul says that Jesus loved the church sanctifyingly, that he might sanctify her. That word sanctify simply means to set apart. It means something that has been committed to God for his purposes. And so Paul says that Jesus' sacrificial love for the church was so that he might sanctify the church. In other words, that he might set her apart for God's plan and for God's purposes. In all of that, Jesus sanctifying the church, Paul is using as an example of the husband's role in the home and of the husband's relationship to the wife. He says, as Christ is to the church, as sanctifying her, so also the husband is to assume that role to the wife in the home. Well, what does the scripture say about Jesus' relationship to the church? Well, it says that he is the prophet and the priest of the church. Did you know that? Jesus is prophet and priest to the church. In the home then, the husband is to be the prophet and the priest of the home. Did you hear that, men? You are the prophet of your home. You are the priest of your home, according to what the word of God says. Now, what is a prophet? Well, the prophet was the spiritual leader of the children of Israel. The prophet's primary purpose in Israel was to speak the word of God to them, to be the proclaimer of the word of God. Therefore, as being the prophet of your home, men, God has said your responsibility is by your relationship to the Father, by your love for the Word of God, you are to be the proclaimer of the Word of God in your home. You are to be the spiritual pace setter for the study of the Scriptures. 
for the love of the things of God in your family and in your home. You are to love her sanctifyingly as the prophet of your home. Not only that, you're to love her as the priest of your home. You are given the responsibility of being the priest of the home. What did this priest do? The priest interceded for the people. The priest went before the Father in behalf of the people. And so Paul says, you are to be the priest of your home. You are to go before the Heavenly Father in behalf of your family. You are to intercede for your wife and your children and your family that it be honoring and glorifying to God. Let me ask you a question, man. Do you love your wife sanctifyingly? When she looks at your life, is she challenged by your love for the Word of God? Is she inspired by your love for the Word of God? When she sees your love for the things of God and commitment to the purposes and the plan of God, does she see you as being a prophet and a priest of that home? It's your responsibility. How often do you pray for your family? How often, men, do you exercise the authority as the priest of your home in behalf of your family? Are you the prophet and the priest? If you're not, it is no wonder she doesn't follow your leadership because you've got your wires crossed. Your leadership is fleshly, it's not spiritual, and she has no reason to trust you. None at all. Because you're leading by the flesh and not by the Spirit. And I wouldn't follow you either. Did you hear that, men? Love your wives sacrificially, but love her sanctifyingly. Be the prophet and the priest of your home. Don't delegate that authority to your wife. Don't you dare give it to her. It's your responsibility. If your children grow up seeing mama being the spiritual leader, being the instigator for worship, being the instigator for prayer, being the instigator of spiritual things, then don't be surprised someday when they follow the same pattern in their home, own families and their own homes. And don't be surprised if they never turn to Jesus in faith because your home is not being operated and ran according to the plan and the purpose of God. Listen, we're talking about maximum marriage with minimum misery. That's what God's plan is for you. Do you love your wife? that way. I've got to shut up, and I'm going to in just a minute. So important. Oh, it's so important. Love her satisfyingly as well, men. Verse 28. So husbands ought also to love your own wives as their own bodies. Gosh, this is a challenge. Women, you think submission is tough? Man, you need to pray for your husband. God's plan and purpose for him is much, much more difficult. Husbands, love your wives as your own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Love your wife satisfyingly, men. What do you do for your body? You care for your body, don't you? You always take care of your body. When it's hungry, you feed it. <laughs> Sometimes too much. When it's thirsty, you give it something to drink. When it's sleepy, you put it to bed. You meet the needs of your body on a daily basis. Paul says, love your wife. When you love your wife, you're loving yourself as your own body because you're not two people anymore. You're one person in Christ. Therefore, if you meet her needs, your needs ultimately are going to be met. That means stop being self-serving. Stop looking for your satisfaction always in everything. Quit expecting her to cater to your every whim and fancy simply because she happens to be a woman. The man who loves his wife sacrificially, sanctifyingly, satisfyingly loves himself, Paul says, because she is a part of his very own body. You're not two people. And we'll close with this. Love her supremely. Love her supremely. Verse 31. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Love your wife supremely. The supreme relationship in all of life, folks, is the marriage relationship. 
It's the relationship between husband and wife. That is the supreme relationship in all of life from the cradle to the grave. You'll never be a part of a relationship that is to be more supreme in God's plan and purpose than that. When it is more supreme than the parent-child relationship, it is. It is more vital, it is more holy in the eyes of God than the mother-daughter relationship, the father-son relationship. The supreme relationship in all of life is the relationship between husband and wife. Therefore, you must love her supremely above all other relationships, above all other endeavors. Your number one goal in life must be to love her supremely in everything. Dr. Harry Einside told the story of a man came to him, said, Dr. Einside, I've got a problem. I love my wife too much. He said, I seem to be obsessed with her. I said, also, I think about all day long. When I leave the house in the morning, I don't want to leave. I want to be with her. I can't wait to come home in the evening. <laughs> Some of you wives are going, wow. <laughs> I, I just think about her all day long, and I, I don't want to be apart from her. I love her too much. Dr. Ironside said, sir, let me ask you a question. Do you love your wife more than Christ loves the church? And he said, no, sir, I, I, I don't think I love her that much. Dr. Ironside said, then you don't love her too much then you don't love her too much because God's word says you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. How did Jesus love the church? Sacrificially, he gave himself far. Men, are you willing to do that? He loved her sanctifyingly as prophet and priest. He intercedes, the book of Hebrews says, ever lives to intercede for his people. Do you ever live to intercede to the father for your family, for your wife, for your children? Are you the prophet of your home? Are you the priest of your home? Jesus loved the church also satisfyingly. That's right. He has met the needs, every need of the church. There's no need that we have that Jesus cannot and has not and will not meet. Therefore, husbands, meet the needs of your wife and you meet your own needs because you're not two people. You're, you're one flesh. You're one body. Love her supremely above everything, everything, every relationship. Your employment, your business, if it came to a choice between the two, there's no question. There's no question. Do you love her supremely? Wives, your responsibility in the home is faithful fellowship. Pray for your husband. Support him. Encourage him. Don't compete with him. Don't cripple him. Pray for him. Encourage him. Don't nag him. None of that. You pray for him. You get on your knees before God for him, for him to place himself in that position of spiritual leadership. And then when he does it, don't compete with him. Don't compete with him. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church, sacrificially, sanctifyingly, satisfyingly, and supremely. And when you do that, your wife will have no problem following your leadership. I don't believe. She'll have no problem following the leadership of a man that loves her like that. Maximum marriage with minimum misery. My strongest word, and I believe Paul's strongest word because he spent much more time on it in these verses. You notice he spends two verses talking about wives subjecting themselves to their husbands voluntarily. And he spent about 10 talking about the way the husband ought to love the wife. The supreme responsibility, men, is for you to love your wife like that, to be the prophet and the priest of your home. And when that begins to take place, then the Spirit of God just begins to bless that relationship. It begins to bless that home and everything that comes out of it, children and all. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Goodness, we stand challenged today, Lord by your word. As husbands, we stand in awe of the responsibility that you've given us in the family, in the home. I pray, Father, that you'll raise up men in this place that will be willing to be the prophet 
and the priest of their home will be willing to love their wives in that way. I pray for myself, Father, that you would help me to grow to love my wife more the way that Jesus loves the church. I pray, Father, that the wives that are represented here who have Jesus living within their hearts, God, by your Spirit, that you will communicate them to them that submission is not being uh, unequal, but that submission is just simply according to your plan and your purpose of two equals, working together for your plan, for your purpose, for your good, for the kingdom of God. I pray it uh, asking for your Spirit's blessing. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's stand together. Turn to hymn number 300.